Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. And I'm Tom's better-looking partner, Joe Bazzello. I'm going to insert laughter. Like if you're like, you know, like a TV show, there's like a laugh track. You know, I'm a pretty good looking guy. For your age, you are. (laughs) For 80. (laughs) I say that sometimes on Zoom. He looks pretty good for 80, huh? So Michael Pan, Pan's Mushroom Jerky. So the name came from his last name. Did you get that? Branding expert. All right. Season 12, episode 6. Air date of 11 2020. He goes into Shark Tank asking 300000 for 10%. Now, I have an interesting trivia uh, that you probably don't know. Hit me. Pan's Mushroom Jerky appeared on this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Really? I'm not current on Curb. Okay. Well, pay attention. I think it was episode four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but Michael posted something on LinkedIn about it. And uh-huh. I hadn't seen the episodes yet, so I was paying so attention. Cool. He was pay. in the uh, – okay, so here's the setup for this. So he was in the um, grocery store. Yeah. And the reason he's in – and I'm not spoiling anything. But the reason he's in the grocery store is – Someone was opening, and it's someone famous, but someone was opening a boutique hotel. And I can't remember who it was. Did you see this one already? I did see okay. that one. So, yes. so, so he's opening yes. a boutique hotel. Yes. And Larry's like, look, the mini fridges, these things suck. <laughs> right. I want to pick out stuff for the yeah. mini fridge. So he's going around the grocery store, and uh, Pans was there. Gotcha. Was, was I, in a scene. I missed that completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so Michael posted something on LinkedIn before I saw the episodes. Then I was looking for it. <laughs> I was like, how do they incorporate this? That but is yeah, so fantastic. I know. So Curb's been great this year. All right. So um, at the time of airing, four flavors, $1.67 to make a bag of this mushroom jerky, retailing for $7.99 to $8.99. Now, where did the money come from to start this business? Bootstrapped it. 100,000, no investors, cashed out his 401k to do it. Yeah. I love bootstrappers. All in. Love bootstrappers. Love it. Absolutely love it. So 2018 did 300,000 of sales. 2019 did 755,000 of sales. Estimated in 2020, the year of airing, to do 1.5 million. At the time of airing, 700 stores. 40% 40% of the sales were through retail. Did he get a deal? Well, Mr. Wonderful was strangely quiet, pretty quiet during this uh, episode. Uh, he had three offers. Uh, Lori and Blake came in together, and Cuban made an offer. Damon was out pretty quickly. Lori and Blake, uh, they were uh, they were offering 300000 at 30%, 15% each. Cuban backdoored them and came in at 20 uh, percent, but Mark came down to 18 percent, and they got a deal. 300,000, 18 percent deal. 
there you go. So let's listen to our interview with Michael. All right, we're here with Michael Pan, Pan's Mushroom Jerky. Michael, where'd you come up with the name for the cut? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I want to start from the beginning and, and thanks for being here. Uh, what a, what a cool idea. Where did it come from? Walk us through where you had the aha moment and actually decided to turn this into a business. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks for having me on, on this, on your podcast. I'm excited to tell you guys my story and, um, yeah, it's funny. My, um, this actually happened back in, uh, 2008, quite a while ago. And, uh, you know, what you see is what you think maybe overnight successes obviously typically aren't, uh, not that we're this overnight success, but we, this has taken a while to build. And, uh, what happened was it, it happened, uh, I was working full time, um, at a large corporation and, you know, I learned a lot there, but I was ultimately left unsatisfied. I didn't feel like I was getting, um, really, really uh, get any satisfaction on my job. And um, luckily, I ended up taking a trip to visit family in Malaysia. And uh, on one of these trips, literally a, a cousin of mine put a bowl of food on the table. I didn't know what it was. I reached in and give it a try. And, and immediately, I thought it was I actually thought it was a pork product. I'm like, oh, this is this is amazing. But I was really confused because he happened to be uh, he was vegetarian Buddhist. And um, he quickly told me, no, this isn't a, this isn't a, this is a pork. This is actually a mushroom. And that's when I found out that, uh, you know, as a vegetarian Buddhist, he had a hard time finding foods that not only really tasted great, uh, but also had a really satisfying texture. Um, and he'd been making the snack for himself, for his family, for people in the area. And, and I, I fell in love with the story and, uh, you know, where it came from and, and, and part of the, amazing thing about mushrooms is not only that, um, you know, they come with a ton of health benefits, uh, but also they, they really have that nice umami flavor and also, uh, just that satisfying texture that we typically want in a snack food. And so that trip just opened my eyes, this, this amazing culture that ha I happen to have a connect, uh, connection with that have been making innovative foods using innovative ingredients to mimic the taste and texture of meat. And so, uh, really at that point, uh, that combined with, uh, you know, I was looking for something else to do. I felt like we had to get this out to the rest of the world. And that's when I decided to figure out how to run and start a food business. And I have to ask Michael, that very early iteration, um, that was served to you, was it, was it fully fleshed out? Was it very, very close to the product that you evolved? It was similar, but we've made a lot of changes since then. And, uh, so actually my, my, uh, again, my family were vegetarian, vegetarians, and so they actually had uh, egg whites in it to bind some of the ingredients together. So um, that combined with, uh, you know, I wanted to use some new ingredients that I felt like were better for the American palate, for uh, better for the uh, what was the latest trends as well, um, and just what ingredients I believe were uh, just better overall. I made a lot of changes to it, but, you know, the base of it is still, uh, we use shiitake mushrooms, but really the base of it is still the same. And, um, but with just, I would say innovate new ways to produce it in a, um, for, for an American market, for instance. And what's the shelf life? Uh, six months. And we're working on obviously trying to extend that as far as we can, but, um, you know, obviously we balance not trying to put preservatives in at all. Uh, so it's six months at the moment. Does that present challenges or is that long enough in that space that you can rotate pretty, pretty good? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the typically the longer, the better, uh, but we found the six months have been kind of a sweet spot for us is a really good starting point. Um, but like I said, we're, we are trying to push it out as far as we can, because we obviously want uh, more business with other people who may be farther away, international business. Um, so there's obviously benefits to having a longer shelf life that we are trying to achieve down the road. What are, give us a comparison in terms of nutritional facts. Where does it stack up compared to like the beef jerky you'd buy at the gas station? Why would someone want to eat this? What's healthier about it? Yeah. So right off the bat, I mean, we, you won't get the same necessarily protein, uh, as a meat product. Um, we don't add any additional things other than some of our other ingredients that does carry some more protein, but like chia, the, we use a chia seed uh, binder for it. Um, but <clears throat> what our product really does is, uh, it provides, it's more fiber, uh, less salt. Um, and really on top of that, I think the biggest piece is just, uh, and whether, whether you, uh, want to be full, full plant-based diet or not, I think people are really opening their eyes to how the benefits of just reducing meat intake in general, how that could be for your diet. Um, and that's really the key point we're trying to make where you don't have to, uh, get that satisfying chew and, and that you get from, you know, meat jerky products. Uh, you can get that with our product and being mushrooms. And, uh, not only that, but you're actually incorporating a lot of health benefits that mushrooms bring again, fiber, uh, there's antioxidants or other, uh, benefits that mushrooms bring into your diet that we think you should include as much as you can. And, and on, with our product, you do it on the go when you're hiking, uh, you don't have to be at your, uh, in your kitchen, um, you know, creating a salad with, with, with mushroom toppings on it, for instance, to get that in your diet, you can do with, a, do that with our product. On the show, you said you bootstrapped the company. There was a hundred thousand, um, contributed initially, no investors. Walk us through that. Was that money you had saved? Was that friends and family? Uh, why did you decide to bootstrap it instead of bringing on investors? I, I'd love to hear more about that. It's a good question. Um, yeah. So luckily, again, like I said, I was working, uh, my background is actually not in food, it's in engineering. And so I got a um, electrical engineering degree from the University of Illinois and um, went to go work at Motorola uh, in Chicago for a number of years, uh, back in its heyday. Um, uh, and so um, you know, through that, through luckily that, you know, working with them, I was able to work in a corporate environment that, uh, you know, had a steady paycheck. I was able to build a 401k. Um, and that's money that I ended up using and cashing out to really fund the business. Um, now, yeah, did I have interest in investing? Yeah, we had interest in investing investors and whatnot. But, um, you know, for me, um, I felt like I wanted to get some traction and also uh, prove that the product could work and make sure that we had a, a really good fit. And, um, you know, when I started this, like I said, I started the concept in 2008. Um, people laughed at me. I mean, it was just like, why, A, why do you need, you know, it's too niche. Um, you know, jerky is Slim Jims and whatever. You don't need a mushroom uh, version of that at all. And, you know, I think if I would have seeked out investment, then I don't think it, it would have been all my time would have spent on trying to get investors uh, versus proving that there was a market. Um, and so at that time, it didn't, it really didn't make sense to me. I wanted to prove that there was a market, get some traction, build a brand. And, and luckily with the timing, as you, as you probably know now that, you know, vegan, vegan is not just vegan anymore. It's plant-based. It's, it's not about just converting into a full lifestyle anymore either. It's about, Hey, uh, once a week, maybe reduce your meat intake. There's other types of food out there that you can eat besides uh, a burger, for instance. And 
Um, so luckily I think, um, you know, that ended up kind of proving that there was a market over the years and I started to see real sales, which was exciting. And that's what I obviously presented on the show. And, um, Again, I was more focused on just building a solid foundation for a company that is making cash. Um, and for me, that if I felt like I was doing that and I was able to pay my our bills and expenses, then that was good enough for now. And then later down the road, I, be, I believed that I could prove to an investor once I was ready to really step on the gas, that we had something of value that we just needed them to pour gasoline on the fire and we would, you know, blow up per se. But and I want um, to remind our listeners that we'll talk a little bit about your appearance in a second and how you got on the show. It's always interesting to ask, how did you get there? What led up to that? So we'll ask that question in a minute. But when you're yeah. on the show, you did well. Uh, you proved your concept. You you cited <laughs> sales of three hundred thousand in 2018. You more than doubled that to uh, almost just over three quarters of a million in 19. And then you projected 1.5 million in 2020. So I think you got you got their attention with uh, proof positive that this product uh, has a market. How did you uh, get on the show? Did they pursue you? Did you pursue them? Yeah. um, Luckily, we happen to be sold in in Whole Foods in Southern California, for instance, and so. you know, people do see the products that are on the shelf and we, uh, we were lucky enough, especially with the pandemic coming around right at that time, uh, around that time, you know, they were, they were having open casting, uh, in, in the spring of last year. And, um, we ended up getting reached out to luckily because people saw our product on the shelves. What was your preparation like for the pitch? Uh, we know that that's (laughs) nerve wracking for a lot of people. How did that Uh feel for you? What did you do to get prepared? Oh man, brings back some memories. Um, <laughs> you know, and luckily again, this is where when you asked earlier, you know, why didn't I seek investment earlier? I mean, we've been running a, a real business for a while now and, and we've been used to talking about what we need to do internally for our business and also what, uh, you know, when we have interested parties, we, we just chat about business. And so, you, you know, those interactions add up to, you know, kind of a whole piece where you're really pitching your product along the way and your progress. And, um, so I think that just kind of naturally I've, I've had that, I've been used to that um, combined with um, yeah, a lot of preparation. I mean, it really, um, uh, it goes without saying the more you prep and the more you practice uh, the better you feel and more comfortable you feel on the show. I'm an introvert at heart. I don't, I don't go out and try to seek attention. Um, uh, and uh, you know, luckily before the show, we, I've also been a fan of the show for a long time, like everyone, and so you watch what happens, you watch the questions they have combined with, you know, talking with people and investors, you kind of know what you need to answer every time. And uh, we prepared a lot. And luckily, for better or worse, the pandemic, um, you know, leading up to the show, we were, I think they made it pretty known that people had to quarantine before uh, appearing on it. And so uh, I was in my hotel room for, you know, I prepped before that, but obviously before the show even and, and going on stage, it um that's all I did, just prep and imagine <laughs> as if I was talking to the sharks while looking out of my hotel window at the deserts in Vegas. It was really <laughs> surreal, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, like all, like, you know, in sports, you get, if you play sports and you play a game, you get nervous, right? Um, but, and I was very nervous, like, like anyone else probably would be, but uh, it's just funny when you, when you prepped enough and you 
or you've trained enough, you, you really lights turn on, you're just kind of hit a comfort zone. And that's, that's kind of how I felt. As you were, you know, cause there's a, that's a pretty long road. I mean, we talked to people that are like, Oh, I launched the product. And six months later, they <laughs> contacted me about being on shark tank or, Hey, they saw me on my Kickstarter. So you had a longer journey than I'd say the average person that's yeah. on the show along the way, were there times or days where you thought, I don't know if this thing's going to make it all the time, <laughs> all the time. And I, I think that, I don't know if that, um, yeah. And, and, uh, it's something, it's funny. I talked to other people about their paths and their journeys. And I think what, what's apparent to me is every path is completely different, uh, depending. And a lot of it for better or worse is depends on how much income and how much, uh, you know, capital you have ahead of time. And, and I took the slower road. I took a very longer road, a much longer road that, um, you know, sometimes along the way, I was like, man, I wish I would start this earlier, but, um, and, and like a lot of things, a lot, there's a lot of luck involved. So luckily timing actually ended up benefiting me down the road by, you know, incubating this concept, getting, uh, getting the word out there, kind of being known as this person that's trying to create this weird product. Um, and then all of a sudden like, oh, there's actually a big market for it. Plant-based is huge. Um, that paid off significantly, um, in the mid she's 2016, 17, um, where buyers that I had been in touch with very early on were like, I remember you plant-based is actually big now. Let's talk again. <laughs> yeah. And so like when those stars aligned, I was, yeah, I, I took a long time, but it actually worked out well where the timing was right and it was time to capitalize on it. And, and I saw all that kind of come to fruition. Yeah, it's where the market readiness actually kind of came to you. You you were ahead of that curve. You're ahead of the chasm. You just had to wait for it. Exactly. And so now we're obviously trying to, you know, the wave is hit. So we're trying to ride that as fast as we can. And, and yeah, the show came at a really fantastic time where it really um, so far has kind of helped establish us as, as a leader in this category and this brand. So. But leading up to the show, the slow, boring, not sexy route of I'm going to put what I can get my hands on into this business, not borrow a bunch, bunch of money, all that slow, steady, boring stuff. If you had to do it all over again, you'd do the exact same thing, right? I would. Um, in this case, I would. Now, I don't think that necessarily applies to every product or every, every business that you start. Um, but for what we did, yeah, I think it worked out. Um, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't change it, uh, at all yet. So, so the show airs November 20th of 2020. Uh, what were those first couple days like after you aired? Uh, it was, um, I, look, I expected a bump obviously and expected, you know, a lot of, um, a, a lot of feedback. Uh, it completely blew out our expectations. Um, we heard, you know, we thought we'd get, so, you know, again, we were pretty small, but uh, growing and we had a, we had an online presence and uh, you know, around, I think I said at the time, six, 700 stores. Um, so we thought online we'd get like 6,000 orders, 7,000 orders, something like that, which is significant for us. Um, but we ended up getting six times that in a matter oh, of 24, gosh. 48 hours. And we had 35,000 orders and, immediately we were just <laughs> blown away uh, of course by the actual you know business of it that wow that's a lot of orders um but just the general feedback was so positive it was amazing um people were um 
you know, it's been a tough year for a lot of people uh, in a lot of ways. And I think they kind of gravitated towards hearing a positive story come out of the show. And, um, you know, I was just very lucky to have a platform to kind of share ours, of course. Um, but yeah, it was, it was insane. I've never seen our, we have our Shopify app on our phone and <laughs> I've, you know, I've never had anything go viral. I'm not like an influencer out there that gets notifications all the time, but we were, yeah, it was insane to see our phone literally freeze up because, uh, we would get so many orders in a such a short amount of time. So, and I assume that you had to uh, apologize for some back orders, or did you have that inventory available? It was. It's been a tough. So, so we had those two days after the show, which was elation and like, yeah, this is awesome, and um, this is fantastic, and we we can't believe people um, were so interested and were thankful and all that. Once that settled down, it's immediately how do we fill these orders? And that's been our last three months. We've been quickly trying to figure out the the execution side of things that we have a lot of customers we need to fill their orders with. And um, and so what we we ended up doing was, uh, you know, again, the, the numbers on the show are absolutely true. We were on this path to get to about one point, uh, I think 1.2 to 1.5 million. And uh, what happened, and this is with a, a staff of, I think, 10 or 11 at the time, we were single shift. We self-manufacture as well. Uh, we immediately had to figure out how to scale our, our operations uh, and triple that volume immediately. And that took some time. That's not something we can just turn on uh, immediately. So um, that took about two months to do that. And we've literally just finished shipping our orders about uh, a week and a half ago now uh, from the show. So it took about three months. And uh, if anyone who ordered is listening, I'm, I'm so sorry it took so long. We, we worked our butts off to get it out to you. I apologize, but um, we did get them all out, but it, it took some effort and, and some patience, honestly, from our customers as well. So now what does your focus become as the owner of the company? Where Where is your time and effort being spent to really scale this thing? And, and what do you think the next couple of years look like? Yeah. I mean, again, it's a great time to be a plant-based company for sure. We have a lot of demand and a lot of, uh, customers, whether they're fully 100% plant-based diet or they're, or they're just looking for um, a way to reduce meat intake. But they, um, we know that there are more people that want our product to try it and also people who want to continuously just reorder it. And so we have a lot of work to do on how to scale our manufacturing our operations to meet that demand. So that's, that's really number one on our, on our list. And, and we're also just trying to figure out what does it take to do that? How much potential capital do we need or how much can we, um, you know, how slow or how steady are we willing to go just from the cash that we get in from uh, our reorders, how much can be used towards just that growth or how much do we have to seek outside? And so we're literally in the middle of figuring that out now. And are you more focused on direct the customer or are you trying to ramp up the retail? Where, where do you think uh, you'll be focusing more on? A tad bit of both. Uh, we do have a number of retail partners. They have to come, uh, they have to be a priority for us to maintain those relationships and they're good relationships with everyone from Whole Foods to, uh, you know, the Thrive Markets and people like that. So we we do have to prioritize them uh, high on our list. And uh, what's exciting is, yeah, from the show, we've, we've just seen a growing number of uh, D2C or direct-to-consumer um, distribution that uh, we are still figuring out how much of our daily capacity are we able to allocate towards that business? Um, but we see it to be, you know, mostly retail uh, with a growing um, online presence as well from our own website and Amazon as well. 
Is there anything you can share about the deal with Mark Cuban? Is it still pending? Did it go through? Yeah, we're, we are a Mark Cuban company. So we, it, we went through and uh, Mark's team has been fantastic. Uh, honestly, it still blows my mind that he answers my emails really quickly uh, <laughs> in the middle of yeah. all the other things he's got going on. But he's, yeah, what you see on, on they, they care about the companies they invest in and they want to help. And um, it's just amazing to see that uh, in real, in, in, in uh, from my own eyes, instead of hearing about it. And uh their team's fantastic and they, they've been with us trying to get us through the Shark Tank order period. And now they are helping us kind of lay this foundation going the next year or two and, and, and how to the right direction we need to go to and helping us do that. I think uh, Mark wanted you from the get-go. He let um, <laughs> Lori and Blake make their pitch and then he kind of backdoored <laughs> them and came in. He's obviously a vegetarian. Uh, he tasted your product, believed in your product and, we heard nothing but uh, praise about him being responsive and his team being uh, great. So we're, we're happy that deal came through. I think it's fantastic that you went into that Shark Tank appearance with your capitalization table intact because we see a lot of entrepreneurs who have already um, diluted their cap table significantly before appearing. Yeah. And like I said, not everyone can do that. I was lucky that I had a, you know, I had a job previously that I, and I took the risk. I mean, I did take yeah. the risk to cash it out. So, um, but when, I, when, by the way, I want to ask you about that. Cause I think that's a significant risk. It didn't go uh, unnoticed that you actually cashed in a 401k. So also there's a penalty there <laughs> for doing yes, that before is. age 59 and a half. Did yeah. anyone that loved you and cared about you try to talk you out of it? <laughs> Um, well, my parents are pretty, yeah, they're, they're very much like, Hey, put it under the, under your mattress, store it away forever. <laughs> you know, um, I mentioned it to them. They weren't exactly ecstatic about it, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the risk you take in this business. And I, um, I did it, you know, with some hesitancy, but, um, yeah, there was no question it was time. And, and if it wasn't, then I, you know, I would have to seek outside capital, which, which could have been a path. So, but I felt like if, if I asked someone else to risk their money on me, I need to be able to risk my own money for that first. So it was always on my path to risk my own funding first and then ask for capital later. But, um, you know, and again, like I said, not everyone can do that. And I, I totally understand why people go in with, you know, uh, a, a lengthy cap table because, you, you know, not everyone has that option. I fortunately had that option from years of working. Um, and uh, yeah, to, to speak about Mark, it, 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 you're right about your analysis. It was pretty funny. Look, watching it after the fact and then seeing what, ha you know, seeing obviously what was unraveling in front of me in real time. Um, but obviously, yeah, it was that experience and seeing all the sharks uh, pretty much uh, love the product and um, having that, that shark fight was pretty surreal. <laughs> in front of me, I'd have to say. Um, but you know, any of, I would have been thankful. I, the, I said on the show, I love all the sharks. I mean, they're all fantastic. Lori would be amazing. Um, I, uh, I knew about Blake, of course, and getting the, that offer first was really, you know, that really settles you down once you have something on the table. Right. Um, so I was, I was genuinely excited when they offered it, but, um, you know, Mark ended up coming in with a better deal, uh, in the end for me. So. As you think about this journey you've been on now for over a decade, what are some of the lessons or takeaways that you can share with uh, other entrepreneurs? 
Um, yeah, I think um, for me, it, there's there's two that stand out besides, uh, you know, I get I get a lot of feedback on um, how other people run their companies, how they started off. Um, but I think what's been, again, I mentioned this earlier, it's been very clear that everyone has very different paths and what they should do. Um, so you, you know, seek advice out, um, find out how other people did it. Um, you're going to get a lot of advice uh, as well that may not make sense for you because depending on your product fit, the market, how quick the market's growing, um, how good your product is, all that, it may change. And so, yeah, I took a really long, slow route that's the choice I made and, and it worked out for me, but that may not make sense for others. They may have to go seek out capital and put more time into uh, getting investors. A lot of people obviously have to. Um, and then I guess the other, the other one is um, for me, I, I really believe in just quickly iterating and trying things to get feedback. So a lot of people who are getting their recipes out to market uh, at the very beginning, um, you know, I, I erred on the side of uh, not necessarily seeking perfection all the time, but just try to get it out there and get feedback as soon as you can and try to essentially make, um, you know, affordable, cheap mistakes to move your business forward uh, rather than, you know, lengthy mistakes ended up, you know, you make one costly decision and you don't have any cash to keep going. Um, and then lastly, I would say, you know, this has been a difficult journey in general. Um, and so it does require, uh, Obviously, physical, you have to you know, do things and what you may be making whatever widget. Uh, but the mental aspect is a lot harder than I realize. Uh, mentally being tough and gritty is just, I can't understand how, how no matter what, I think what stage, well, no matter what stage of the business you're in, you need to have that. And, um, you know, like I said, even though we had our success in the show, uh, the past three months have been some of the hardest uh, times we've gone through. Uh, under a lot of pressure to deliver, uh, expectations much higher. Um, and so it took a lot of, a lot more mental toughness than I thought. And, uh, we, we managed to get through this, this chapter in our, in our book. Um, but it's made me see, realize that just how strong you have to be to, I'm going to continue to have to be through each kind of stage of our company. So, um, yeah, this kind of grit and mental toughness is something you can't, uh, you have to kind of develop over time. So. Well, you, you need it, but as your team grows, <laughs> you have to convey that to all of them and calm them down as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. It's, it's been stressful for obviously me, but yeah, I, we've seen it everywhere down the road from whoever works for us is there, they feel the pressure. And, um, you know, I, I think it's my job to make, you know, really set up our team to be successful, not make them feel all the pressure that it's all on them to do. And so that's been the balance, you know, we obviously want people to care and like push forward and feel that pressure a little bit. Um, but my job is to make them uh, obviously just successful their job and do what they can. And that's it. And um, um, it's a fine balance, but we've managed to do it so far. Well, we wish you nothing but success. Yeah. You don't need our, our wishing or luck. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> uh, awesome product. Awesome business. You're an awesome entrepreneur. Um, and I'm sure your team feels the same way. So last question, where, uh, where's the best place for people that are listening to follow you on social media? And then where's the best place for them to buy the product? Yeah. Um, our social handle pretty much across the board on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is uh, mushroomjerky.com. Really simple. Or mushroom jerky, excuse me. That's pretty simple. Uh, and it's J-E-R-K-Y. 
You'd be surprised how many people put an E in the in between uh, <laughs> the K and Y, by the way. Um, right. So Mushroom Jerky, at Mushroom Jerky. And then our website, again, real simple, mushroomjerky.com. Uh, we have our website where you can order. We're sold out at the moment. We're working on getting back in stock, of course. And, um, and we also have a store locator on there that tells you where we're located retail-wise. So, But if you happen to be in, I think you're in SoCal, I believe. Uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Ah, Scottsdale. Actually, Scottsdale, too. We are at Whole Foods in uh, SoCal and Southwest as well. Um, so that's, a, that's one you can go to. And, of course, uh, again, our website is probably the go-to to find out where we're sold. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Uh, wish you nothing but continued success. Michael Pan, not an overnight success. Just took a little <laughs> bit longer, but a great success. Hey, nothing wrong with that. That's <laughs> taking me a while too, my friend. I get it. <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We're back. Great interview. Great entrepreneur. A lot of good lessons here. Uh, phenomenal entrepreneur. Love Michael. Um, and you know, he, and I had a note here and you mentioned this earlier, did cash out his 401k and people laughed at him. (laughs) He had people laughing at him. He was all in and he, and he made a tremendous success out of the business. I have a couple things I want to talk about. First, he decided to prove out his market, prove out that his product worked before he went out begging for funding. And I really like this. I like someone who is willing to prove that market out. Uh, put an MVP together, minimum viable product out in the marketplace without going and, and uh, asking for angel or friends and family funding. Yeah, I, and my, and my note on that was focus on making cash and paying the bills, then you can get investors later to pour gas on the fire. Right. And he admittedly took the slow road. Yeah, he, he did. He played the long game, but I, you know, I like it because you keep, your, you keep your cap table intact, you keep your powder dry. For as long as possible. Yep. We're big on that. You and I both believe that. Um, he also said there are many different paths, possible paths, mm-hmm. and he likes to get a lot of advice. It doesn't mean that he will uh, follow every, <laughs> go down every road of advisement, but he likes to get a lot of advice. He likes to gather it because he knows there are different paths. We talk about this over and over again. Don't fall in love with your own voice, don't fall in love with your own ideas. Look for different paths, different ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Get a lot of advice. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything that someone suggests you do, but he likes to do that. And also, my last point is he quickly iterates and makes changes. He gets a lot of feedback and he makes very, very what he calls affordable mistakes. It's great Mm -hmm. to make cheap mistakes. Yep. And you can look for areas to take risk that maybe it's a time risk more than a money risk. You try something, it doesn't work. You didn't pour a lot of money into it. What did you learn from it? So you iterate quickly. You move very, very quickly. You take risk uh, as it's appropriate in your business. You make affordable mistakes. I like that. Um, If you prepare enough, you aren't nervous. (laughs) Right? I mean, we get nervous because we're not prepared. So it's, you know, if, if, you know, preparing, getting uh, practice, then you're not nervous about things. I I love that. I thought that was great. Um, Just get it out there. It's okay to make cheap mistakes. Just get it out there. And I thought that was great. Um, And then the other thing we talked about was the mental aspect of being an entrepreneur. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny. There's so many 
ways we look at entrepreneurship and there's a million quotes out there and there's a million books out there, but very few, and I think this is true of entrepreneurs, I also think it's true of athletes. We don't look at the mental aspect. Um, I, I don't know this to be true, but it's a very, very strong suspicion that late in a game, um, at a big moment, when Tom Brady drops back, he's not as nervous as insert a young quarterback in the league. Same with an Aaron Rodgers, okay? I think it's true of great entrepreneurs too. I don't think they get as nervous. I don't think they get flustered. Now, what causes that? Is it alignment of a brain? Is it you know a mindset? I don't know. I don't know enough about this stuff. Maybe someday I'll have the opportunity to study it or read something more about it. But I just believe that, you know, Joe, we look at some of these entrepreneurs and they've got game. They've got a, a composure to them. They don't freak out. They don't, you know, get way down or way up. There's just a calmness um, and a certain moxie to them that most people don't have. And I think a high-performing entrepreneur is in a lot of ways like a high-performing athlete. Yeah. We've said for many years and, and you know, uh, comparing entrepreneurs to high-performing athletes is not a bad thing to do. In fact, if you're an entrepreneur and, you know, you don't follow sports, I suggest you at least grab some documentaries on high-performers to, to get what you could learn from them, take what you could learn from them. But I've said for years that you have to run level and run level to me means controlling your emotions because the mental aspects of entrepreneurism, the whole thing is just not as easy as people on the outside think it is until you get in the game and you realize that you know you could have this, uh, this swings in emotion not even within a, a month or a week but within a day or within an hour you can have very high highs and very low lows so you must run level and to me, it's, it's all about controlling the emotions and, and being able to say not everything is as bad as you think it is. And when you're on a high, not everything is as good in your business as you think it is. It's usually the truth is it's somewhere in the middle. So try to even yourself out and run level if you're new at the entrepreneurial game. Yeah, and, and I think that was fantastic. And then the other thing I just want to elaborate on a bit that was mentioned during the interview is just this idea that everyone has a different path. And I think sometimes whether it's a investor or it's a coach or an advisor, I think sometimes people look at business, look at entrepreneurship, look at scaling a business as if it's black or white. Like you must enter this market or you must bootstrap or you must take on investors or you must focus only on your one product, or you must get distribution uh, versus doing it yourself, whatever. You can make money and grow a business any number of different ways. And there are many different paths. And sometimes it's not about a path being better or worse, but it just being the right path for that entrepreneur. Some people want to get investors. They want to have other people. They want to have a bunch of money. They want to have a big office. Other people are terrified by that and just want to bootstrap. So I think when you're looking at what path should a business take, I look at it and say, what path should the entrepreneur take based on their mindset, based on their strengths, based on their age, based on their knowledge, based on all these other factors. So 
it's it's a little naive and, and maybe I dare say arrogant to sometimes think that they're your what you think is the best best path for a business is the only path or is the best path for that specific entrepreneur. And what I like about Michael is he took a path that worked for him. Yeah. Would it have worked for everyone? No. Was it the best path for everyone? No. But it worked for him. It fit. And he's bearing the fruits of that. Absolutely. You know, we're both big on gut feel. And ultimately, as the uh, founder entrepreneur of your business, you have to trust um, your your decision making process. You have to trust your gut and go with what you think is right for you. Yep. Another great episode. I enjoyed this. We have a a free book for you. Where can they get our free book? So our book. I like free. uh, I know you do. You're you're the only person I know that's on Amazon that doesn't have Amazon Prime. Uh, I got it. I finally got Did it. Did you really? Yeah, there yeah. you go. Okay. <laughs> finally has Amazon Prime. So uh, our book, Entrepreneurial Landmines, uh, it, it is in this podcast feed. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you scroll back a few months, you'll find Entrepreneurial Landmines. You can listen to the entire book. It's about three and a half hours. Uh, if you want to, and that's free. And if you go to OutsideTheTank.com, you can get the free book as well. If you really want to have an actual physical copy of the book, you can go to Amazon. It's $10. You'll have it in two days, assuming you have Prime. <laughs> but they wanted like a hundred fr- something yeah. dollars for that. But if you That's want a lot the, of money. If you want the free one, <laughs> if you want the free one, go get the free one. We hope you enjoy it. It's all the you know mistakes and challenges and landmines that entrepreneurs often make on their road to success. And if you read that and take those things to heart and avoid some of those mistakes, it'll save you time, it'll save you money, and uh, you'll probably sleep a little better at night. So as always, hope this was helpful, hope you enjoyed it. We so appreciate all these incredibly talented, gifted entrepreneurs coming on the show and chatting with these two idiots for a little while. Uh, We learned a lot, we hope you're learning a lot, and we'll see you next week on an all new episode of Outside the Tank.